Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. Today we're going to talk about repentance. Yikes, what a word, right? But first, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day and for this time to talk about your word and current events and how we can live out our lives as believers in these times. Please let my words be honoring to you and helpful to the hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've ever worked with children, you know that they need certain feedback and they are quick to give you feedback. Now, Jesus said, welcome the little children for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as them. And he encouraged us to have childlike faith. What's interesting about that is the adultish view we could have of children that even borders on childism. We focus on their flaws, on what they don't know, on their mistakes. We focus on their emotions and on their behavior. But there's something to them that is a quality that we're to emulate. There's an instinct of what we turn away from and what we turn towards. There's an emotional honesty. There's a meditative quality of play and of imagination. There's a not willfulness for harm, but a focus on the moment, on what they need or what they want. There's a brilliant capacity for negotiation. In the parable of the prodigal son, we read about a boy who leaves home before his time. He asks for the inheritance from his father, which is almost an equivalent of saying he wishes his dad was dead and he just wants the money. This is a hint at the task-driven, analytical, almost a sense of a, a greed or at least an ambition that went outside relationship. When we're at our best, I wonder if that's a relational learning space where we're calm, where we're connected, where we share a moment of empathy or understanding or affection or happiness or some other sustaining experience. But the son asks for his money and his cut of the inheritance and goes. Now, we don't know exactly what he did with that money. It's not explicitly described in the text. We hear about it later from his brother, his brother who assumed he knew what his brother did with that money. For this story, we read about the repentance, the moment of turning of the prodigal son. He comes to his senses while he's eating pig slops and realizes how much better off his life would be even as a servant of his father. Here we have almost a Boaz clue, the way that his father had integrity perhaps in his dealings at home, that things were better for the servants than for the son who was on the outside. That realization almost snuck up on the prodigal son as an echo of what he remembered, a glimpse of what he might have experienced with his father before he left home. Of course, I'm speculating, but it's not a stretch in human relations, especially in family, to know how much that influences us. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven. Now, depending on your experience with the Father or a Father figure in your life, that might be a stretch for you or it might be a welcome connection. Borrow the father of the prodigal son for a moment and realize in your moment in that prayer that our Heavenly Father has our best interest at heart and He cares about us. When we talk about repentance, we need to know what 
we're turning towards. If we just turn away from something, then we might end up in a place that we don't want to be. But if we're turning towards something, then we have that focus for a goal or an experience or a person or a situation that we can even adjust and correct as we go along, depending on what feedback we receive, but we're still making progress. This movement seems different than the lure of Satan, the lure of ascension that he offered in Genesis 1 through 3. We jump now long time ago where we have this ideal paradise in the first couple, Adam and Eve. God makes this beautiful garden and this beautiful world and these two humans and tells them to caretake it and multiply. They walk with God daily in the garden in the cool of the evening. There's this picture of peacefulness, peaceableness, of goodwill, of rest, of everything satisfied and every need met to the point where they don't need to think about those things. They can just walk and be together. When Satan tempted the first couple, he first confused them. That's an abuse tactic to throw a person off center. When you feel off your game or out of focus, you start to not be able to remember what was said or the details of the situation or even the timeline, and it can be very triggering. But the confusion was subtle. Did God really say? It was as if he was striking up a conversation and making them do all the work to use their own words against them. They answer him and they tell him, what God said, and you can read this account in Genesis chapter 3. Then Satan contradicts it. No, he did not. Satan is the anti-God figure at this moment, the anti-Heavenly Father. Now remember Satan's game, his gamble to throw an insurrection against God in heaven and take a third of the, the angels with him, now demons who are roaming about the earth. He fell from heaven straight down as lightning, it says in the scriptures. What's interesting to note is the implied ascension, the implied vertical ascension up. If he attempted to insurrect God, he was not trying to be like God, which was the temptation that he gave to Adam and Eve. He only gave a partial truth. He gave a partial truth based on who they already were, not what he was offering. Who they already were was made in the image of God and each other. They were already like God, but he called into question their identity. To say that again, Satan used the system God had already made to work against them. He called into question their identity and threw confusion on it. We know by the account of Satan, by the history, by the behavior of him, that he is the anti-God. He wanted to replace God. He wanted to be God. Therefore, the temptation in the garden was actually a temptation to worship Satan, not God. He lied by denying the reality of death. He used their identity against them. You will be like God when they already were. But he added, you will be like God knowing good and evil. Now, we didn't say that this tree, the knowledge of good and evil over which he was tempting them, it was something God had made. It's not clear that God told Satan, I know good and evil and you won't. But out the gate, we have this lie, this manipulative twisting, this distortion of now the integrity of God. So Satan questioned God's words. He threw confusion on the conversation. He contradicted it. And then he offered a different twisted version of the reality that they were already walking in. Now, if you think about this stuff too long, it can turn your head into a word salad. That's not the purpose of this conversation. 
but it's helpful to think through what's going on. When we're talking about repentance, it actually goes back to this echo, this one moment. Jesus called Satan the father of lies, a murderer, a thief, a liar. He even accused the Pharisees in Matthew chapters 23 to 25. He accused them and put woes on them for how they prevented people from accessing the kingdom. He called them children of hell by saying that they would make proselytes and turn them into double the children of hell that they were, which is quite an indictment if you think about it, because they were the esteemed religious elite leaders or maybe despised by the people because of how they carried on themselves. But positionally, they failed their role. Is it possible that they bought into that echo, that original lie, that original lie of ascension, that elitism from the fall? It wasn't the fall of man, it was the fall from pride. If we're falling from something, we're falling down from a position and we're landing onto something else. Repentance chooses to recognize it is a moment when it takes the information and the feedback to realize the fall from where you were to what you've landed on and it chooses to do something about it. It chooses to take some truth of God to correct whatever confusion had arisen and it chooses to maybe hope in the love of God to move in a different direction. Now, the ministry of Jesus is amazing because it gives us a clue to the will of God. Again, when we're moving towards something, what are we moving towards? We're moving towards a relationship with God, which we have in Christ. John three sixteen, my childhood verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, of course, in Christianity, Jesus is the central figure. Repentance recognizes that, and I believe it goes much deeper, because it's about a redemption, a transformation of what we fell from to what we're moving towards, and the clue is in the ministry of Jesus. Now, the scriptures teach that the Lord sends forth his word to heal us. John chapter 1 refers to Jesus as the living word who came. Now, what did the ministry of Jesus reveal? Well, first, Jesus' healing ministry was amazing. That was his ministry. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He raised a child from the dead, a little girl who had been sick. He healed an older woman who had bleeding issue, and she touched the fringe of his coat. And he healed a woman in the temple whose back was hunched over. He raised Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead. Then there were the quieter, less dramatic moments when he spoke to the crowds, when he gave the Beatitudes on the hillside. He miraculously calmed the storm and saved the lives of his disciples and himself. And he was not even worried when the storm was raging, for he was resting in the boat. That in itself seems a miracle, does it not? He supported people such as the woman whom the men tried to stone and accused her of adultery. He supported her and he intervened to save her life. He noticed the children, the child, the little boy who had brought a lunch to feed the thousands. This was the one child who showed himself greater. The disciples were arguing about who was greater. Again, this temptation for ascension, who was greater than the other? This was the same predicament that the Pharisees did not know that they were in, apparently. They were self-righteous. The disciples were arguing who was greater, and Jesus said, Look at this child. Welcome this child. 
He asked the disciples to feed the crowds, and they said, No, send them away. It's too late. And Jesus said, Now, wait a minute. They might perish along the way or faint along the way. It's a long journey for them, and they're hungry. Jesus had compassion. And who was on site? It was a child with a lunch. And the child gave the lunch to Jesus, and Jesus blessed it and multiplied that food to everyone. And then he told the disciples, You go feed everyone. He talked with people. He prayed with people. He prayed to God. He went alone and prayed to God on the mountain. He took time out of the hustle and bustle. And then when he was in the hustle and bustle, he saw the crowds and he looked at them with compassion. This was the ministry of Jesus. All of his behaviors showed the ministry of Jesus. He also dialogued and debated with people. He spoke truth into it, not for the purpose of being right, because he already was, but I suspect for the purpose of the audience who was listening, all the crowds who were being misled by these religious elite, Jesus was different than them. He also asked of people when the one leper came back or the per, the blind person that he had healed and restored sight, the people that came back to him they thanked him for what he did. The man with the unclean spirits who cut himself and beat people up, he was the one that wanted to come with Jesus. And Jesus would tell them, go back to your town and tell them of the good God has done for you. Or where are the other nine lepers that I healed? Why didn't they come back and thank me or praise God? You see, repentance is about a transformation. It's not enough just to be healed, although God is good and he will do that. It's that we thank him, we praise him, we start to recognize him. As a prodigal son, we come home prepared with our speech, but the heavenly father just runs towards us and embraces us. God the father knows what he's pursuing. He's pursuing us. And he showed that in the love of God in Christ Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, the other part of his ministry was to save us from sin, was to be that sacrifice to lay down his life. But he did that as the son of God and the son of man. And what made him the son of man was this exercise in empathy. He learned, he translated the love of God by learning what we dealt with on a day-to-day -day basis. He went through all the trials and suffering and tribulation. Isaiah 53 talks about this that he was despised and rejected and forsaken by man. So this healing ministry of Jesus shows us a clue to what the will of God is. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test, know, and prove what the perfect and pleasing will of God is. What's interesting to me is that word pleasing. It also satisfies the will of God satisfies. We might be tempted by the fleeting effects of sin, the fleeting lures, this lure of ascension, as it were, and grab all these different places from all these seeming fruits in the world. Oh, this achievement over here, or this relationship over here, or this spouse didn't work out. Okay, I'm going to discard them. They gave me some kids. They gave me some money. I don't know. They gave me some stress, and I'm going to move on and, and learn from that and have a better experience. I'm going to ascend from that. You know, there's compassion in that. And also, I just see the sense of how we are just almost climbing over each other to get to some top because of that fall. That echo is so strong. But we're not going to get to this top 
We're not going to get back to what was. God has a different vision for what is forward. And the turning point, the pivot of that is Jesus. So what does repentance mean to you? What have you fallen from in your life? And what are you trying to climb up towards? Is it climbing the proverbial ladder at work? Is it another achievement or an academic program? Is it improving your artistic or musical or expression of some kind? Is it as an athlete wanting to perform at your best? All of these things are beautiful and good in and of themselves. Yet there is that sense of where's the line? Where do we draw the line? Where's the limit? The limit is that those things can't forever satisfy because we will always want something more. We will always want to keep going. And we do feel that sadness in our wiser moments of, wow, I'm older now and I can't do all of those things on the balance beam like I used to do. I did high school gymnastics and started later in the sport and I loved it and would have loved the opportunity to have started sooner. But these are these opportunities in our life where, you know, you're given a certain hand and you're not necessarily able to control all of it. We make the best out of our situation sometimes, and sometimes with that effort, we might make them a little bit worse. But what does it mean to have a healing ministry from Christ? What does it mean that we want him to minister to us? What do we need to turn away from and turn towards? Our ideological causes, our political leaders, our anger or incensed offense or rage over certain topics, our self-righteousness, if you have a religious spirit like the Pharisees, our pristine theology like the friends of Job, none of those things are going to make you ascend. They're just going to make us all this ball of humanity trying to climb over each other. And I wonder if that's what Jesus saw when he gazed at the crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, scattered scrambling, going every which way without any sense of direction. There was a directionless, a chaos from that confusion, from that echo of running away from something, not quite sure what we're running from and trying to get back what we had and not quite sure how to do it or even what it was. So I want to pause and just invite you to this healing ministry of Jesus and this idea of repentance as choosing what you're moving away from, and choosing what you're moving towards. What are you moving away from today? What do you want to move towards? And what does that look like? It could be practical things. It could be task-driven. It could be relationships. But ultimately, where is your sense of peace and assurance about that? And I believe that that does come by the Holy Spirit in Christ. I do believe that that does come by us knowing we are grounded in the truth of who we are. We're confident in that. We know about ourselves and how we can grow and what we need to learn. And we are more grounded in where we're going. And so we're having this movement, this forward movement in life. We're focusing on the correction that's needed rather than grieving or lamenting at length about what we lost. And even if it's not so clear what we lost, we can certainly start looking forward to what we want, but not in a way of hopelessness or we can't have that or I'm on the outside looking in. There's a certain movement of repentance that's offered. Remember that the scriptures say, confess your sins to one another and be healed. And it almost was as if when the prodigal son returned home, 
His confession was beside the point. The father was just glad to be reunited. So imagine that love and imagine that embrace of what you're needing in your life. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for my listeners. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for your healing ministry, Jesus. We pray that you start us on a step in that direction today for what that can look like for each of us to be healthier, stronger, more whole, more happy, more joyful, more fill in the blank of what we need. But ultimately, Lord, we pray that you can give us discernment for what that means with you. What is lasting that we need that you can fulfill in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree. Thank you.